Thank you, John. Thank you, Alex. Uh, thank you, Joshua, for serving us so well today. And I also want to just thank you, church, for your love for Christ and your uh, service to him and the wonderful fellowship that we enjoy together as a local church uh, during this time where the coronavirus has uh, forced us to uh, meet in this way. I just want to let you know that you're being prayed for, church, and that you're loved very, very much. And um, uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our Seeing Christ in All of Scripture series. And if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can open to 2 Samuel 23. And the verses are going to be verses 1 through 7 this morning. So 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 7. And uh, let's read God's word together. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. The message title this morning is The Last Words of the Sweet Psalmist of Israel. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your living word this morning, and we thank you that you are able to sustain us by your word. And I pray that you would sustain us and feed us as your people this morning through your precious word. We pray that your word would go forth and as you've promised, Lord, that we know it will not return void. We pray that it would, uh, it would go forth and it would create life where there is no life this morning. Lord, I pray that you would save sinners this morning through the understanding that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. I pray that you would build up your church and strengthen your church, nourish your church through the word this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at uh, three points this morning from the passage. The first is a just ruler. That's number one. Secondly, thriving men. And then thirdly, worthless men. So first is a just ruler. And uh, what I want to look at in relation to this point here is... Just by way of introduction, uh, David 
is saying that these are his last words, but the reality of it is, is that it's not his very last words that he spoke on his deathbed. It's not saying that as much as it's saying, this is the last psalm that he captured at the very end of his life. And he wanted to write this down, um, reflecting back on everything during his life and his reign, which is powerful, but also looking forward into the future. It says there in verse 1, it's, it's an oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high. God raised him up to be king over all of Israel. He's the anointed of the God of Jacob. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. I love that phrase. He wasn't just a king, but he was also a, a poet, someone who wrote songs to the Lord and was a heart of a worshiper in King David, and he was the psalmist of Israel. He actually was conscious, David was, if you look at verse 2, that the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me, that the authority of the Word of God came through him, and he says that his word is on my tongue. We see here a, a declaration from the Word of God that David was one of the authorized authors of scripture he spoke and spoke the word of the lord and it was captured for us in the psalms and he says that the god of israel has spoken the rock of israel has said to me so the lord spoke to him and and as as uh peter describes in his epistle men spoke from god as they were driven along by the holy spirit david under the inspiration of the holy spirit pens these words it's captured for us and it's the living and active Word of God for our souls this morning. And there's been this phrase that has just come through my mind uh, repeatedly during this time of the coronavirus. And um, it's just been this phrase called, redeem the quarantine. Redeem the quarantine. And one of the ways that we can redeem the quarantine is so often our lives are so busy that we feel like we just don't have enough time to actually get into the Word the way we desire to. And uh, the Lord has slowed many of us down. I mean, if you look worldwide, culture-wide, even those who are still working, their lives are much in need of the Word of God because in many cases the medical health care professionals and others are exhausted and in need of refreshing by the Word of God. But also for those of us um, where life ha has been slowed down, because of the coronavirus and there's more time at home more time where we're not active and out and about and running everywhere um, this is a time where we can redeem the time to really go deep with the Lord in prayer deep with the Lord in the word and in personal worship and devotion to him and I want to encourage us uh, as, as David's talking about that the word of the Lord was on his tongue the Psalms would be an excellent book of the Bible to go through in relation to edifying your own soul. And uh, the God of Israel has spoken. And God is the rock of Israel. I love that. And if you want, uh, in the midst of this time of chaos, stability to be in, just poured out into your soul, the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just pouring that into your soul will refresh and encourage strengthen you and bring fresh life and, and joy in the Holy Spirit to you like nothing else can. Let us make sure we are meditating on the Word of God and allowing the rock of Israel to strengthen our souls, brothers and sisters, during this time. But David was talking here. He says in verse 3 that when one rules justly over men, 
ruling in the fear of God. This is a description of his reign that God had ordained from eternity past for David to become the uh, anointed one of Israel, the king of Israel, the first king in the line of the royal line leading all the way up to the birth of Jesus Christ, the king of kings, who was the son of David. Um, this is talking here about uh, David's rule. He's, he's talking how the Lord said to him that when one rules justly over men, which was kings were called to do, but the king of Israel did do, when he rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, you see the blessing that a just ruler brings upon a people. It says in uh, verse 4, this remarkable phrase that it's he dawns on them like the morning light. I, I was uh, up at sunrise and just being able to see the the, the morning light break through. Um, we, we see the... The, the, a ruler, a just ruler, has that type of impact and difference on the people. Like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. I love the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. Um, and I love this description here that a just ruler, King David, and his rule that God had ordained had, had brought the people of Israel into a time of spiritual prosperity that was, was it shined so brightly that it was like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. I love that. And also, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. This is talking here about the blessing that a just ruler, a just king, brings upon the people that he he rules over. He's, he's like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. This allusion to grass here is talking about the, the nourishment and the life that a just ruler brings to his people who are under him and who willingly come under him and submit to his rule and reign. It's an image of prosperity spiritually, and it's also just an image of what what salvation brings when the people of God submit themselves under the rule of God's anointed one. Now, in this context, David's referring to himself and his own personal rule and reign, but this scripture stretches out all the way into eternity future because it's not simply talking about when it's talking about the just ruler king david uh david also sees off in the distance the form of the person and work of jesus christ uh king david's greatest son who was the promised anointed one to come god's messiah who would come and one day lay down his life on the cross for the sin of his people. This this promise that a, a just ruler would always come down from the line of David is promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you open your Bibles or turn in your phones to 2 Samuel chapter 7, I'll read God's word to you there um, in verse 12. There's a promise to King David that comes earlier on. And David's reflecting back on this covenantal promise that God made with him. It's, it's beautiful. In 2 Samuel 7, beginning in verse 12, we read, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, this is the Lord talking to King David. God promises him, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That promise is so powerful and so glorious and it it doesn't end there. In verse 16, the word says, and your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is what David had in mind as he is penning these last words now, looking back in reflection upon the word of the Lord coming to him through the prophet Nathan, that covenantal promise that the Lord gave to King David stretches all the way out not just to the rule of King David and not just to the rule of Solomon, his son, though it does touch on that because Solomon was used of the Lord to build the temple of the Lord. But it stretches all the way out to the anointed one's birth, King Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, whose rule and whose reign never ends. Even right now, King Jesus He died on the cross. He rose again. He ascended. He is seated on the throne right now, beloved. And that's meant to fill our hearts with hope and peace and joy this morning in the midst of these uncertain times that the just ruler that David's ultimately talking about here in this text, it's like a reverb effect, like a rock going into a pond. It's immediate contextual application is King David's reign, but like a ripple effect. It goes out all the way to eternity and it touches in on the reign of beautiful King Jesus and his just rule over his people, ruling as he does in the fear of God. Jesus never sinned. He never failed in fearing the Lord, obeying the Lord. He always rules over his people justly. In fact, one of the, one of the powerful expressions in the books of the New Testament is when it talks about God being both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. God is both just and justifier. How can God both be just and justifier? How can he execute justice against sin and sinners and yet also be the one who justifies sinners? Well, the only way to do that is by sending his own son, Jesus, to live a sinless, perfectly righteous life, to achieve and accomplish an earned righteousness. And then with that earned righteousness, And with that sinless Son of God, he he sends his Son. His Son willingly dies on the cross in the place of sinners. He he sheds his blood to atone for every believer's sins and and washes them away and, and renders them clean. But then not only that, God the Father chooses to justify the ungodly like me, like you. He chooses to justify ungodly sinners. And the the way he does that is 
with the actual earned righteousness that Jesus earned in his sinless life. God the Father has chosen to credit Jesus' righteousness, to impute it to the repentant, believing sinner's behalf. And now we are saved from the justice of God because when God the Son, Jesus Christ the just ruler, was hanging on the cross, he received the justice we deserve against our sins. He received it so that we do not need to suffer the justice and the wrath of holy and righteous God. Jesus absorbed it on the sinner's behalf. And now justice has been satisfied by Jesus, the just ruler. The just ruler took the justice we deserved. And he received the punishment of God as our substitute on the cross, beloved. Never forget the kindness and the mercy of God that he suffered the justice of God on our behalf. And now God the Father also is chosen to justify, to credit filthy sinners like us with the righteousness that his son earned so that we might become the righteousness of God. I was talking with uh, Blake Cooper in church uh, this past week. We were having fellowship together over the the Greek word dikaio in the book of Romans and how it's a verb form of of righteousness. And so it's we were talking and we were just musing together and what the Lord did was he actually he righteousnessed us. He righteousnessed us so that now we are declared righteous in God's sight. The just ruler has justified the ungodly. How glorious and how wonderful is that? The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, Of these last words of David, we need not understand that they were the last words he ever spoke, but his last song or psalm, his latest vision. And therefore the subject that was most in his mind was in the last period of his life. The psalm recorded in the preceding chapter was an earlier song, and the main drift was the past. Of this latest psalm, the main drift is of the future. The colors of this vision are brighter than those of any other. Aged though the seer was, aged though David was, there is a glory in this, his latest vision, unsurpassed in any that went before. The setting sun spreads a luster around us as he sinks under the horizon unequally by any he diffused even when he rode in the heights of the heavens. And that's because he saw Christ afar off, greeted the coming of the Son of God from afar and received it with joy. And this psalm's actually touching in on the reign, not just of King David in the immediate context, but also of King Jesus, the just ruler in the extended context of eternal eternity future as well. And now we're going to move to point two, thriving men. Coming underneath, underneath the ruler, the just ruler, of King David and by implication also King Jesus takes submission on the part of God's people. There is an act 
that's necessary to come underneath of the rule and the reign of God's anointed one. And that's one of the major burdens that David's got in this scripture. It, it's There's essentially a question of will you come underneath of the rule and the reign of the sovereign, just ruler of the people of God? Will you submit yourself or will you resist his rule and his reign? It's a it's a very uh, charged uh, psalm with, with eternal implications here. And we see that those who do come underneath of the rule and the reign of King David and, and also King Jesus, it, it, it's described here that as we looked at in verse 4, he dawns on them like the morning light. And I love the, the description here of light and the blessing that coming underneath of the just ruler King Jesus brings. He's described in John chapter 8 as the light of the world who shines down into the darkness of this world. You think of all that's going on in this world right now. You, you can see mankind at its best, but you, you also see so much darkness. But only Jesus can shine and break through into that darkness and set people free and bless them temporally, but also eternally in the way that our souls long for. Christ dawns on them like the morning light and like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. What a beautiful description of the reign of the anointed one and how, how bright and how beautiful um, and, and, and how growth producing this kind of light is on men's souls. Men are described here as like grass that sprouts up from the earth. Elsewhere in scripture as well, we see the expression, all men are like grass. And that's a description of that their glory quickly fades away, that we, we, we sprout up for a little while, but then, then like grass, we, we quickly pass away. We have our season and our time on this earth, but it's not of long duration compared to God and his eternal rule and reign. We, we live here for a short time on this earth. But while we're here in this passage, not, it's not the brevity of the grass's life that's talked about as it is elsewhere when men are talked about and described as grass. Here, we see grass described as, as, as an evidence of God's saving work grass that grows up green and grass that grows up that has has had the water of the Holy Spirit come upon it, the water of new life and the rebirth of regeneration through faith in Christ, water coming from Christ like Jesus promised in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well when he said, I'll give you living water. Christ is the one who ministers refreshing water that waters the earth and causes the grass to sprout up from the earth. Out, out from deadness comes life. Amen. Men come to life under the rule of the just judge, King Jesus. And, and, and there's this combination of, of David's reign, but Christ's reign being described as light, as rain. And you see the, the imagery here is that he brings life and salvation and nourishment and growth to his people. Grass is, is, is described here in this context as sprouting. It's an image of thriving life that's coming up out 
from the earth and bringing glory to the rule and the reign of King Jesus. And one of the things that, that I want to highlight about, about grass here from this passage is I was just thinking about this. Um, I love green grass and I love uh, grass that's, that's thick and lawns that are soft that you can walk on with bare feet. That's one of the things I love about this season in the spring where you see, uh, you know, in time here, we're going to have to get back to cutting our grass. And, and there's a downside to that, needing to get out and do all that. But there's a beauty, though, to the, to the smell of cut grass. There's a beauty to the feel of, 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 of soft green grass on a beautiful lawn and walking across that and seeing that. There's, there's glory to that. It's, a, it's an image of life and health. And uh, here it's describing men's souls. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I had bought some of the uh, weed and feed for our uh, our lawn, and I had done this previously and had had a spreader that I had borrowed from my dad, and um, I borrowed the spreader again. and And you have to regulate when you put the weed and feed uh, grains inside of the uh, spreader. You have to regulate and 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 cause the, the weed and feed to come out at, a, at just little tiny portions at a time as you're going over back and forth your lawn. Because if you don't do that, the weed and feed will just pour out through the holes on the bottom and you'll quickly run out of it. But one of the other things that'll happen is you could actually burn your lawn rather than nourish it. And um, I, I went to go and uh, weed and feed the lawn and um, Normally, when I get done the lawn, I have a lot of the weed and feed left over um, to use again if I want to later on in the season. But I ran out early this time, and I knew something was wrong. And I realized after I had spread all of it that I forgot to regulate it. And the weed and feed, when I was walking back and forth, it was just pouring out of the holes in the way that I was talking about a moment ago that can ruin your lawn, get hurt your lawn. And I was like, oh, no. Well, I totally messed that up. Uh, but one of the things that I, I, by God's grace, did right was it happened right before we got two days of, like, torrential rains that, uh, that came. And they always tell you when you put this weed and feed down, make sure to do it before it rains so that the moisture will come and, and, and liquidate it so that it nourishes the grass and you get full grass growth. Well, fortunately, we got so much rain that the excess weed and feed that I put on the lawn didn't actually kill the lawn. It actually turned our lawn into like the best lawn in the neighborhood for one year. <laughs> our lawn is never the best lawn in the neighborhood. Of I don't have time uh, or the inclination to want to tend it in that way. Um, but for that year, because I had put so much excessive weed and feed on the grass by accident, and we had such rains, the grass turns like perfect in, in, in about a week. And I, I ended up having to cut the grass tons that year because of all the growth that came from the, the summer rains and from the, the sunlight during the, the summer months that year. And, uh, but it was an enjoyable year while it lasted. And as you walked on our lawn, it felt like one of those lawns, like on a football field, you know, where you're walking on the grass. It's soft on your feet. Um, it, it's, it's, it's an image of 
of, of just the health and the salvation here when it's describing grass sprouting from the earth. It's describing the beauty of God saving his people and bringing them underneath of his rule and reign. Only through repentance and faith in Jesus can we become like this type of grass that's soft. I want to accent the word soft because here thriving men are 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 soft like the green grass. They're healthy, they're nourished. And there is life eternal described here that coming underneath the rule and reign of King Jesus brings. Matthew Henry talking about the the thriving men says, In many things, David had owned his neglect and wrong conduct to blame. But David comforted himself that the Lord had made with him an everlasting covenant. We see that, brothers and sisters, where he says that in verse 5, For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant. That's referring to 2 Samuel 7 ordered in all things and secure. So you see the order and the security that salvation brings, the rule of King Jesus brings, and the way it causes men to thrive. Matthew Henry goes on to say, By this he principally intended the covenant of mercy and peace, which the Lord made with him as a sinner, who believed in the promised Savior, who embraced the promised blessing, who yielded up himself to the Lord to be his redeemed servant. Believers shall forever enjoy covenant blessings. And God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost shall be forever glorified in their salvation. Thus, pardon, righteousness, grace, and eternal life are secured as the gift of God through Jesus Christ. I love that expression. Pardon, righteousness, grace, and eternal life are secured through the covenantal promise of God to His people and it's a gift of God through Jesus Christ. And of course, we enjoy not only the blessings of the Davidic covenant, but also the new covenant in Christ's blood, where the night before Jesus died, he had his disciples partake of bread, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And this is my blood, which is shed for you under the new covenant. And brothers and sisters, that shed blood marks the beginning of the new covenant in his blood. And it's Christ's blood that was shed for us that has brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life, which has atoned for our transgressions, satisfied the wrath of God that once was against us, the blood of the new covenant of Christ. For us as believers in Christ, it's like David said here, it's an everlasting covenant. It has secured God's steadfast love for us forever. We never have to be fearful, even in these uncertain times, of God's love ever being taken away from us. People can be afraid of all kinds of things being taken away from them during this season. But one thing is secure, brothers and sisters. God's love for us can never be taken away because it's been secure for us through the bond of eternal covenant. And David said, he has made with me an everlasting covenant. And it reminded him that everything is ordered and all things are secure because of what God has done. This is the blessing 
that comes from a just ruler, thriving men and women, saved souls are the result. However, David doesn't just stop there. He talks about the other side of it as well. There are two types of people. There are those who are saved and there's those who are not saved. And David does not omit the second group here. He actually says in verse 6, But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shafts of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. This is the third point. And the third point is worthless men. We think worthless. Well, of course, every man and woman has worth in the eyes of God, having been created in the image of God. We have worth and value. But what this is talking about here is when someone rejects the reign of the just ruler, King Jesus, they render themselves completely worthless in terms of being able to bear eternal fruit for the glory of Christ's name. We see the contrast there in, in, in 5b where it says, Will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? God's people are a help. God's people are a blessing. And there's, there's thriving and there's fruitfulness and there's growth that takes place in the life of God's people who are soft-hearted like green grass that grows and who thrive under the rule of the just ruler, King David, and also King Jesus. But worthless men will not submit themselves to the rule of the King of Kings. David encountered it in his time, and even to our day today, there are those who will not repent of their sin. There are those who will not submit themselves under the rule of King Jesus. There are those who will not say they're sorry to God. For their sin. I want to urge every one of you in the hearing of this message to, while there's still time, submit yourself under the rule of the King of Kings. Those who do not submit themselves under the rule of King Jesus render themselves worthless. And it's actually, the, the men here are described as thorns. And, and I want to highlight that thorns are hard in compared to the softness of the green grass. The thorns represent sharp cutting, hurting, pain, hardness of heart, and, and all that happens that is bad as a result of the fall. The fall is symbolized by the thorn. And here we see that King David is talking about that worthless men who will not submit to the reign of the anointed one are worthless and are like thorns. They are hard-hearted. They are sharp and cutting. There's a description of the chaos of the fall and they need to be subjected with iron and shaft of spear. This is a description of what sin does to our lives. It, It brings chaos into our life and destruction in its wake. And in the end, we see in the last phrase in verse 7, they are utterly consumed with fire. There will be judgment upon unbelievers who reject Christ. Their lives will be a catalog, even as they try their best to live their life. Because they're not living their life under the rule of King Jesus, their life 
doesn't bring glory to Christ. And they won't repent. They will not say they're sorry to God for their sin. And the just judgment of God, which God put on Jesus for believers' sins, the just judgment of God will come upon unbelievers on the final day of judgment. And David here says they will be utterly consumed with fire. This is, a, a, this is language that calls to mind the eternal fire of hell where unbelievers will be punished on the day of judgment. My friend, you do not want to go there. Submit your life under the rule of King Jesus. Believer, give thanks to God that Romans 3 says we all together are sinners and all had become worthless, but God had mercy on us and he transformed our worthless lives into soft green grass that now grows for his glory under his reign. Rejoice that the Lord has saved you and has transformed you. And there's an urgency to responding to the Lord today. And I want to call to mind that urgency by sharing just this illustration with you in closing. Near the end of World War I, a nasty flu started spreading around the world. The virus responsible for the disease, which became known as Spanish flu, infected over a quarter of the world's population. With an estimated death toll of between 50 million and 100 million, it was one of the deadliest pandemics in human history. In the midst of this pandemic, during September 1918, cities around the U.S. were planning parades to promote liberty bonds being sold to help pay for the war effort in Europe. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where 600 soldiers were already infected with the flu virus, city chiefs decided to go ahead with their parade. Meanwhile, the city of St. Louis, Missouri, opted to cancel their parade and introduce other measures to limit public gatherings. One month later, more than 10,000 people in Philadelphia had died of Spanish flu, while the number of fatalities in St. Louis stayed below 700. We understand this well in our day where quick reaction is needed to lessen the curve, so to speak, of the growth and spread of the coronavirus. What's emphasized here is the need to act fast with something that's so dangerous. And when it comes to sin, we need to act fast. We don't know, we're not promised tomorrow. We need to recognize that the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And it's good when there's a real threat to respond quickly like St. Louis did to the Spanish flu. And in the fear of the Lord, come underneath of the just ruler, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords while there's still time. It's good and right to fear the holiness of God and to flock to Christ and his mercies on the cross while there's still time. That day of opportunity will close when Jesus comes back and we'll never get it again. We need to respond today and trust in the Lord while there's still time. Because if we don't, all the time that we have to live, we in a sense as sinners just continue to spread the virus of sin and the sharp cutting of the fall and the thorn And only Christ can redeem it. Give your life over to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, today. And be saved. He's so glorious, isn't he? He's so wonderful. He has brought life and liberty 
and salvation into my soul and he can do it in yours as well. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for the just ruler, King Jesus, and we thank you for his salvation. Lord, we pray if, Lord, there's anybody here who has not repented and not trusted in you, have not submitted. Lord, I pray that they would see their, their worthlessness in terms of rebellion against God and, Lord, see the effect of the thorny effect of their life and how it's hurt and how they've been hurt and cut. Lord, and you have deliverance for them offered today if they will come underneath of your rule and reign and submit themselves. And for those of us who have, Lord, we just say thank you for having mercy on us. Lord, we were once worthless thorns, and now we are like green grass growing in the garden of the Lord, thriving and bearing fruit. Even in the year of drought, you cause us never to cease to bear fruit, like the prophet Jeremiah says, and we give thanks to you for it. It's all from you and through you and to you. And as we close in worship, align our hearts to your truth. Help us to submit to your ways, and that we would bring great glory to your name in our earthly lives that we live here and that we would look forward to seeing you, Jesus, like David was looking forward to seeing you in this text, that we would look forward to seeing you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.